Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to include just a little bit of a clip, a quote that Austin included just in our banter afterward. And it's just such a pure thing to leave you with. I think I shared something like my wife um, shared it with me this morning, but I think you'll, you'll relate to it. I'll let you go after that. But I think, um, I think you'll like it. I shared it on my story though today. Uh, but it's about, you know, the, essentially the, the death of the Kobe Bryant yesterday and how that's impacted a lot of, you know, hundreds of millions of people essentially. Uh, but what I shared on my story to feel affected by death of someone you don't know is to realize that our reach, our impact and our energy extends beyond the circle we've perceived to be our own. It's a reminder to be careful with words, to love and accept, share and inspire and live an authentic life. After all, life is fleeting and you are powerful. And I think at least, especially those first two paragraphs are, are powerful. And I think that in and of itself, just us speaking and realizing that our, our words have these ripple effects around, around us. And I draw a lot of purpose from just focusing in on what's around me. And I try not to get too lost on what isn't. And that's helped me out a lot because if I know if I can positively impact those, that of which is around me, it hopefully has a ripple effect to, to something greater. So the benefits of being a very real, very transparent individual is that it opens up the doors to meeting people that you can really relate with. And whether that be just how you see the world or how you take in your experiences with other people, I found that I could really relate to Austin Current. And the way that I came across him, because I can see that there's so many other ways I could have met him. Somebody else could have told me about him. I could have met him at a summit down the road. But I met him through Nick Sorrell, who was on my podcast, but then also later on on Austin's podcast. And just the way that the three of us see the world and the things that we get out of it and how we articulate ourselves and just our, our outlook was so similar that really I messaged Nick and I was like, well, what's, what's Austin all about? And Nick was like, I think you guys will really hit it off. And so it makes me very excited and pumped and enthused to introduce to you Austin Current, episode 96. Here we go. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase, season two. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at yegfitness. All right, so welcome to episode 96 of the Lifestyle Chase. I am joined by Austin Current. How are you doing today? What's up, man? Doing well. I am good. I'm a little sleepy, but I crushed a coffee, so that uh, that helped things. How about you? What's your morning routine? What do you do to like wake up and get started for the day? Yeah, morning routine is always a little interesting for myself and my wife. We uh, we typically take mornings a little bit slower um, rather than the typical get up and get going sort of mentality. Um, and it's usually it's usually one of those things that we talk about that we want to change, but I deep down don't think we want to change it because they're just they're special mornings and. We get to drink coffee. We get to, you know, snuggle up and watch 
our favorite shows and we maybe do that for like an hour and then we'll get up um this morning we stuck to one episode of 20 minutes i was very proud of that um but we got the time and we typically you know we'll work an hour later into the evenings because of it but we enjoy it so that's usually the first thing we do is kind of just drink some coffee kind of wake ourselves up and maybe watch a show or two and then we'll just kind of crack into our email and go on from there that's awesome so is she in the fitness industry too uh, she's not. So she's the photographer uh, okay. and a creative. So um, yeah, so she she works on that and she has her own business as well. And so we both, I mean, she's just sitting right over here. So uh, we both just sit, we, we both work from home and yeah, make it happen. That's awesome. It's it's good to uh, have like the, the two jobs or roles that kind of complement each other. You're both kind of like self-employed sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's it's always interesting. I think we're always adapting to each other. We're always learning each other's kind of different habits. And we have some, we have a few different things. And one thing that we kind of unconsciously did, I think, but something I picked up from reading the book, um, indistractable was, um, kind of this, the signature sign of don't, don't talk, try, like, don't talk to me. Um, I'm really focused. I'm trying to do some like deep work, uh, coined, you know, by Cal Newport and, just deep, meaningful, focused work. And that is usually these headphones. Um, so if these headphones go on, um, the noise canceling headphones, then that usually means unless it's like urgent or you have something like, oh my gosh, you have to see this. Don't bother me. Don't distract me. Um, and that goes for both of us. So if those headphones go on, uh, it's pretty much a sure shot of like, we're focused, we're trying to concentrate. And then if they're off, we're usually I'm, I always have music on. So if my headphones are on, I'm either on a podcast or I'm listening to music. And then if the headphones are off, I'll turn on our kind of our Bose like room speaker to play like low level uh, relaxing music or concentration music. And so usually if the headphones are off, that's like, hey, let's just kind of have an open forum chat if you if you want to or else we'll just kind of keep working. So I love that. Yeah. Communication is so key. So I was listening to your podcast a little bit and there's plenty of takeaways for me, but something that really stood out to me because it kind of explains basically I found you because I met Nick Sorrell at a summit in Kansas city. And then I interviewed him on my podcast and we really clicked. And then I saw that you interviewed him. So I was like, Hey Nick, who, who is Austin? Is he cool? And then Nick was like, yeah, man, he's cool. And I was okay. And then I reached out to you and that's how this happened. Um, what, what's your experience with, uh, summits and seminars and all the different, uh, continuing education experiences. And if you were to describe yourself, you're going to introduce yourself to a bunch of people that have no clue who you are. How would you do that in about three sentences? That is a really good question. Uh, so I'll start with the first one and kind of just my experience with seminars and, and continuing ed is I think they're very, very important. And I think they're vastly underrated by our current, I would say my generation of coaches, coaches, because we've had so much like the coaches that I have interned under and mentored under and just been a part of their systems and learned from just the generation just before myself. Um, I don't, how old are you? I'm 27, just about 28. All right. So the generation right before us, essentially, they 
it was like still like the super early days of the internet in terms of the way people were sharing content, writing content, and especially within the fitness industry. So it was such a big thing to go and experience these seminars and continuing education things. And you built a community, you built friend groups, you built this network around the world. And I think we are doing that a little bit through social, but not to the same extent. Um, some of us have an opportunity to do it a little bit better than others or build deeper, mean, more meaningful relationships through social. But there's nothing you can do to replace a human connection in, in person or at least over FaceTime or something. So I think that's a big part of continuing ed and then just getting your hands dirty and getting that application. Because especially if you pretty much just started out with your training with online training and you don't have much in-person experience, the more in-person experience you have, I do think it directly correlates to your ability to relate to different types of online clients you'll have. And it'll allow you to see and kind of fill the gaps a little bit better in the practice in and of itself. So like during, as you're writing programming, for example, and you've taken a client through the, a similar session before, you know where those hiccups are. You know where clients are typically confused if they see something or a different rep scheme or maybe a superset combination and they're wondering, you, you've kind of seen that wondering face before. And you, as you're writing that, you can kind of recall back on past experience and say, hey, I'm just going to kind of preface this programming with, I'm going to assume you may have some trouble here. You may or may not, but if you do, here's some tips, here's some pointers. And that goes a long way because that feels like you're not just kind of dumping all of this stress all the information someone you're able to kind of relate it back to them and for them and so that's something too that i think these seminars can do is kind of get your hands dirty and used to seeing other bodies move and being around other coaches and learning from them and so i think i think they're awesome i, I love them i, I want to do more of them uh it's just it can be very hard especially with the way that our schedules sometimes get set up and other travel that comes into play so um, yeah, I, I love them. I mean, what are your thoughts on them? I love them too. They're, they're huge. Like if I can afford a seminar or a summit, I go to it. And there's been times when it's like, I'll eat tuna for months just to be able to go to like a, a seminar because like you, you talk about connection with people and I really believe in like the actual genuine, like not just talking about fitness, but actually like, Hey, like, do you have a dog? Where did yeah. you get it? Um, what are the things that you're passionate about aside from like bicep curls and hypertrophy? Like just really understanding where a person comes from and like understanding their struggles. Like basically like because the fitness industry has so many people that just kind of like they burn out and they leave or they just want to make more money faster. Like to make it into something that's fulfilling, you really have to like give a shit about the people that are your colleagues. Like when, when somebody's going through tough times because like, their their parents are getting old or when they're going through tough times because like they just got a divorce or just all these different things that's that's the kind of kind of connection that i like to make with with my my friends in the industry and that's the kind of level of uh connection that i like to have with uh with people that i look up to because then you're empowered to to learn that much more because you're able to communicate that much more clearly just about like the same concept as you and your wife being able to communicate like when we're working, when we're not working, um, being able to be on the same page as to like 
I, I imagine you probably have to have some common ground with the music that you play on the Bose. Um, yeah. You, you can't just be like, okay, we're just going to play my music and you're just going to have to deal with it. Like you probably have to communicate those things that allow you to work better together. So like I'm, I'm like a, a bit of a hippy dippy trainer in that like I really focus on like the, the like emotional side and like the the deep connection side of, of fitness and all that stuff with my clients with my friends with my colleagues and with people that I look up to yeah this is a human based service based profession and so you're not a computer programmer you're not dealing with robots you're not dealing with computers you're not dealing with artificial algorithms like you're dealing with natural algorithms you're dealing with real people and that's a big thing and the more you connect the better your opportunity is to not only connect with another person and expand your horizon in terms of experience but also get someone to just sign back up and as in terms of especially being an online trainer but i know from my experience with in-person training too like the easiest sell is that client that's signing back up for a package they just finished because they're stoked to continue. And January is always a good month for the fitness industry in terms of, you know, typically within revenue and people are excited to start fitness journeys and coaches typically do well um, from, you know, from December, January, February, and it starts to slow down a little bit in March. But the big thing and one of the coolest things over the past couple of years is just not having to push as hard in January because most of the most of my clients kind of just roll over and want to sign back up. And so I find myself not having to do a ton of selling because once you put in that work to learn who these people are and form connections and actually dive in to them as the, you know, themselves aside from their programming and nutrition, like it goes a long way. And it can make your life a hell of a lot easier and less stressful trying to always find new clients or new people just to write programming for, you know, because you're making that human connection. So, yeah, totally agree. So now it's time for your three sentence intro to a complete stranger. I'm a fairly cerebral guy. I'm the thinker. And I find that fitness has given me a, an outlet to expand on my teachings, uh, my way of thinking and my way of connecting with others. And so I would say that's my, my three, three sentence answer. That was deep. That was deep. That was next level. Um, <laughs> aside from fitness, what do you do for fun? Like what fills your cup? Um, yeah. Snowboarding typically. Um, so if I'm able to, to get away from, the quote unquote office are basically our apartment. Uh, snowboarding. Yeah. It, it's pretty simple there. I mean, we live in Denver, we live in Colorado and you know, right here on the Rockies and an hour and a half from some of the best snowboarding spots in the world. So, uh, at this point we won't be here too much longer, but we're enjoying the time that we're having here more and more. And, uh, I'd say snowboarding is definitely that thing that allows me to fill my cup up and just be able to disconnect and actually find a place where I'm not thinking about business or about anything. I'm just snowboarding. So what was life like the first time you snowboarded? 
like your very first time um my first experience with snowboarding is yep. how do they go yeah. um yeah so i grew up um on a skateboard and a wakeboard and basically any type of board you could imagine so my brother and i i remember it was i want to say 2010 or so i was a sophomore in, in high school and basically it was the first time that we'd ever like properly or officially snowboarded i mean i know we we kind of had these like you know, chamois Walmart snowboards that we kind of go to a hill in our neighborhood and, you know, snowboard. But we we came out to, to these resorts that I we go to now and we spent you know, just over a week here and snowboarded every day, essentially. And the first day my brother, my mom was wondering, like, hey, do you guys need lessons? Are you guys good? And my brother and I just kind of, we both, I mean, both snowboarded, wakeboarded, like understood how to, how a board worked and how we felt on a board. And we both just kind of said, all right, yeah, we're good. And we, we went up the slope and found a, what was categorized as an easier run and just started flowing down. And I think by the second day we were riding the blacks and it just kind of came pretty natural to be honest. So, um, it was a cool experience. It was something that my brother and I got to do, uh, together, which is very special. Um, there's, there aren't many times that my brother and I get to do things like that, uh, alone together, um, or just the two of us. And so, that was definitely an adventure that I cherish and yeah, it was, it was really fun and it allowed me to realize how much I love snowboarding. So at that time in your life, and I'm just trying to like sort of, it's a time machine game here. We're going back in time. What did you think that you're going to do? Like, would you predict that you would be in this place in your life? Like, uh, doing online training, having helped with like seminars, stuff like that, or did you have a different plan in mind? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, at that time, I wasn't sure. So at the time of that trip in 2010, when I was in high school, I really was unsure because I was kind of transitioning. It was around the time I was transitioning out of sports and real like I had some head in, uh, some traumatic brain injuries and head traumas that kind of took me out of sports. And it was kind of around that time or just the year after that trip that I kind of gave up all sports and I stopped playing all sports. And that was really my identity at the time. And so that was kind of a reality check moment for me. And I had to really start to think about what I wanted to do next. And what college meant because I never really thought about college outside of athletics. And so that was a, that was a challenging time mentally for me. I was very scared. I was very intimidated by what the future held. And I can tell you, I probably, I really wasn't very excited about the future uh, because it was just very intimidating for me. And I, it didn't involve the things that I knew I, I was really good at. And cause school didn't do that for me at the time. And I wasn't, I didn't identify with being really any type of intellectual person outside of, you know, a sports setting. So it was, it was scary. Really. Yeah. Did and you I didn't have, think I would be doing this? I can tell you that. Yeah. Did, did you have any, any idea of post-secondary that you're going to do? And like, if you didn't, when did you decide like what you're going to register for, what you're going to pursue? 
Yeah, so I remember later on around that time, I had a conversation with some family members who are in the health professions industry, and uh, I think it was with my aunt, and she's a nurse, nurse practitioner. And so I remember talking to her, and so I was, she was talking about the exciting up-and-coming path of um, physician assistants and how that's becoming a lot more popular and how every clinic essentially, at least in the U.S. now, has a team of PAs and then one physician that kind of they all report to. And it's kind of turning into that system. Um, and so that was kind of my thing. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll just go to school to become a physician assistant. And then I... Uh, I went to university and kind of I was teeter-tottering between doing something with exercise science and then doing something with kind of the medical field with physician assistant. And then I learned more and more that anything clinical wasn't really for me. Um, so I had time. I got into after my first year at university. Going into my second year, I switched universities and also switched what I was studying. And so I went I went into dietetics and I wanted to become a registered dietitian. And then I started working at a hospital under a registered dietitian. So I was working in the food service. I was working in the kitchen, but I was also working with people's diets and different specialized diets for a clinical setting. And I realized then I didn't want to do that either. And so I essentially around that same time I had started to compete in physique and um, compete in physique bodybuilding. And then I got more and more um, into the idea of, Hey, let's, I had a coach at the time and the idea of starting a business like that one, a coaching business online became more and more of reality. And then it got to the point where I made just enough for my online business to justify quitting the job I hated at the hospital. And so at that time, I kind of just made the judgment call, put in my two weeks and took a kind of took a leap of faith that it was going to work. And um, it worked enough at that time. And that was kind of the transition for me, I'd, I'd say, is that second, uni second year of university when I switched universities and I started to compete and I got introduced to kind of the physique bodybuilding world and this this world of improving body composition and becoming a more of a personal trainer because I'd never up until that point I'd never really thought of becoming a personal trainer. Uh, I was I, I always knew I liked to train, but I didn't know I liked to train like that, and I didn't know I liked to build the relationships around the gym with others and help them achieve a goal. And I didn't realize that other people even struggled with it. I guess. Um, at that age, I, I had never struggled with it. It was one of those things that kind of always came naturally. And so at that time, especially I, I didn't even think about other people and think that, wow, okay, they're really struggling like so much so that they can't even come into a gym. And so realizing that there were so many different levels of people struggling to achieve a goal that something that came naturally to myself, it got more and more into something of an interest of mine to start to learn more and more to help others who were afraid to kind of take that leap. So that's kind of what, that was that transition point, I think. Yeah. 
I like that. And you spoke a lot to the whole, like, having to disconnect yourself from an identity as, like, an athlete. Um, and I think everybody, when, when they're active, they can, they can associate themselves as an athlete, whether they're competing in sport or just, like, being in the gym and progressing. But, like, let's imagine you went to a high school and you were assigned to do a talk in front of a bunch of kids that uh, were wanting to play like college level sport then all of a sudden they had an accumulation of injuries or setbacks that they were faced with the truth that they would not be able to pursue that like how are you going to help them to create that uh, disconnect from that sport being their identity and for them to find their identity in another way it's a really question I I've thought a lot about what gives myself purpose and what gives myself identity over the past couple of years. And I've just really started to learn more and more that, at least from my perspective, it has a lot to do with not only doing something you enjoy, I think that's the first line of defense, or finding something that you you enjoy and find challenging. But within the challenge and enjoyment, you also need something within a skill set you have because I think enjoyment and challenge outside of a skill set becomes frustration. And I think it becomes something that you're pursuing and you're not going to be very good at. And it can be discouraging to a sense, especially to that person that is trying to find a new identity for themselves. And so for myself, I needed a challenge. And I'm learning more and more. I, I constantly need a new challenge or a challenge within the same genre, but a little different spin or taste. And within that challenge, I, I need it needs to fall within my skill set or else I'm going to get really stressed out and a little bit too extended and a little bit out of my own mind. And yeah, it'll turn into something that it, it really shouldn't have or it didn't need to. So I, I think forming the identity i think finding something new is is to find a challenge to find an enjoyment within a skill set you have so i think you know taking a play out of or taking a page out of kind of gary v's playbook and and looking deeper into becoming self-aware like what are you actually good at what do you suck at um what are things that within that list of things that you think you have a skill set within which one do you find challenging which one do you think you'd want to pursue um and then try and dabble with the top three and or find one that you just want to pour all, go all in on. Um, but yeah, I, I think the parameters or at least the umbrella of the new identity involves challenge, enjoyment, and lying within the skill set you have. That was a really good way of putting it. Thank so. <laughs> I'm thinking about your your physique competing, and I know that for a lot of people that I've spoken with, um, they see somebody else and they're like, wow, I want to do what that person does. Was that your experience, or did you kind of find physique com competition just on your own terms? So, yeah, awesome question. So I got talked into it. I, have, I wanted nothing to do with it at all. And actually, it got mentioned to me in passing, at a time where I was like, absolutely not. I don't want to do that. I think that's stupid. And 
that's not who I am. I don't, I don't even want to pursue it. I don't think I'd enjoy it. And then I would say a couple months went by and then a close friend of mine started to talk to me more about it because she had competed for the last couple of years and had a lot of success within it and kind of reinvented herself, found a new identity within herself. And I was, I was kind of, I was at a time when I was searching for my own, I was searching for a new one. And there was a lot of things happening in my life that I think I needed something to attach myself to and become obsessed with that was productive. And, you know, outside of, you know, drugs or getting into trouble or something like I was, I needed something to attach myself to. And I'm glad I got talked into it because I became obsessed and well, after the first one, I became obsessed. So the I went through the first, I got talked into doing my first physique show and basically it was the ultimatum of, look, you got six weeks to do this, give it your all. And if you hate it, I'll never bother you about it again. And so I, I agreed to that. I thought that was fair. And deep down, I think I really wanted to try it and see if I was good because I, I did find enjoyment in the training aspect of it. And I'd really never focused in on training for aesthetics or training for, to build my physique. I always trained to train and, or I trained to become a better athlete. And so this was a new challenge for me within a skill set I really had. And so I took it on and I did very well and won the show. And now that I was good at it and I found that I also enjoyed it. I was like, Hey, I might as well give this a go and, and see how it plays out. And so I started to find people I looked up to within the sport itself, within the physique world. And I started to try and emulate myself and learn from those folks. And nine and a half months later, I through four shows, I ended up turning pro within the physique world and within the IFBB. And I kind of, that it happened like that. Yeah. It's kind of just got to become, I became very, very obsessed with it. And that's all I thought about. That's all I did. Um, that's what my days were based around outside of university studies and my part-time job and everything else. But, you know, every day was focused around what time is my training session, essentially. What were the toughest things about competing in physique? Were, were there any things that were really hard to overcome about it for you? I would say decision-making um, and at that age, especially peer pressure to hang out more with my friends, go to more parties and be more of a, in a social circle or network that I really just separated myself from. I didn't have much part in a social network or a social channel of any, of any kind. Um, I had, I've always kind of had a few, I've always hopped around even in, in high school, I would say, you know, I was. I would be categorized as a popular kid, but I never, I didn't really have a, a group or a social circle. I cling to, I kind of just hopped around and I was, I was in a different, whatever day it was or whoever was around, I was kind of just, all right, cool. Like we're friends, let's hang out or let's chat for the next hour or whatever. And so the only thing that I really, I, I say like fully identified with was sports and athletics. And so during the season, I was really close with my sports friends. And outside of the season, I was got closer with my friends outside of sports. And I kind of just always kind of flowed and hopped around. And then after I left this confined space where you're forced to be friends with people, I fell out of contact with most of them because I 
found out I wasn't very good at keeping up with people. <laughs> and um, from there, I clinged on to a few different people. I found some really close friends and I kind of created a core five and or a fab five as the old T-Mobile commercials would have you believe. And um, it, it's it, that kind of stemmed from there. And so I'd say the challenge is within physique, especially in the beginning where the social aspects of it and I really reclused. I really became obsessed with it, as I said, and I, I was all in and that comes with trade-offs and sacrifices. And one of those trade-offs was the social aspect. And then I would say outside of that was having the never ending conversation with other people on what do you mean? You can't have that. What do you mean? You don't want to try that. It's a brownie. Just have a brownie. It's a, just, you're in great shape. You know, it, those, all of those conversations, sometimes on a daily basis of why I didn't want to have something to eat or why I didn't want to, not have something to eat, but why I didn't want to eat the food that was being presented to me from other people and why I didn't want to buy into their idea of what makes them feel secure and seen or whatever. I, I just didn't identify with, I didn't understand it. I didn't. I still to a, I, I understand it more because I thought more about it, but still to a degree, I don't quite understand how obsessed people are with needing to share the exact same type of food while they're eating. Um, or if it's, you know, if one person's eating pizza and the other one's eating a salad, why that's a controversy. Um, <laughs> I understand it to a deeper level, but there's still a surface level of like, I don't quite understand why we, that social convention is the way it is. Um, and I'd, I'd say that was the second one because the training for me, the, the discipline, all of that stuff that went into getting into great shape and a physique re or a stage ready physique kind of became pretty natural to me. I, through sports growing up, it, discipline was always rooted in and doing what you needed to do to succeed was always rooted in, but the social aspect and the peer pressure, peer pressure aspect and trying to collectively handle other people's reactions and emotion towards what I was choosing to do with my life became pretty challenging. That was a great way of putting it. I'm curious with, uh, because you would have times when you're trying to be stage ready, but when you're not like when you're just doing your thing and just being active and healthy, um, do you still eat your own separate sort of like, do you still make mindful choices on your food or do you just kind of go with the flow? And if one person's having pizza, you just give in and you have pizza too. It really depends. I, I think during that time I would have, cause I, I'm, I don't compete much anymore. Um, my last show I did was in 2016 and I don't know when the next show will be if it will be, um, I'm kind of toying with the idea maybe my 30th birthday, but that all depends on what I'm doing when I'm 30, because I have some plans that take me into my thirties and it may not be a good time. So, cause based on those goals, I'll be quite busy. Uh, so I don't know. And so as far as kind of making good nutritional choices or what I would do, I think back when I was competing more full time, and that was the end goal. I always, I always pretty much bought into the flexible dieting approach, um, even from the onset back in 2013. I mean, back in 2013 at my first 
going into my first show, like I'm proud to kind of look back and know that I tracked macros. I, I, I was basing things off of that. I was basing things off a of flexible idea of nutrition because I was looking up to the right people and they were kind of starting to talk about these things. And fortunately I kind of cling attached myself to those, uh, ideologies. And so I was, I always had a flexible approach to nutrition, but I wasn't always open to, yeah, let's just have pizza because that I know could have thrown me off a week or two within the, my plans of where I wanted to be. And so at that time I would probably would have opted for my own food. Um, and I was, it was very common for me to come hang out, but not eat, uh, which I would, I would eat beforehand or I'd like, I'd eat beforehand or drink a protein shake on my way to like go visit with friends as they're eating. And so I just, I've never had a problem with that. I've again, I'll go back to, you know, digress to what I was saying before. I've never quite understood that social convention or that innate need for people, um, in social situations. So for that, like I've never really needed to take responsibility for other people's insecurities in that way. And so not to be insensitive to that, but just the reality of who I am, I just, I'm empathetic to a, I, I think I'm deeply empathetic, but I'm only empathetic to a degree of what makes sense to me. And that's something that doesn't make sense. So <laughs> that's, that's that. But so I, I've never like felt like I had to give in to that peer pressure, um, whether it was drinking or doing drugs or eating food I didn't want to eat at a restaurant. Like it's simple as that. And so that was the decision I've always felt like was my decision. And so now though, like yesterday we, my, I went on a photo shoot trip with my wife and a really good friend of mine, uh, to do some work, some branding work that she does for one of her clients. And so we kind of took a trip out into the mountains. I was just in the back seat and I was, you know, just kind of staring off into space. I made sure I caught up in all my work and I was able to go yesterday and it was just one of those days. And, you know, it, it we stopped off at a, a mountain, you know, a mountain pub or a mountain restaurant. And there was no thought in my mind of, oh, I'm definitely gonna get a burger and some fries and a salad. Like that sounds amazing. And so now, I mean, I've over the years, I've just gotten really good at understanding how I function and how, like how much training volume am I currently doing? How often am I training? How active am I? Can I afford this trade-off? Can I afford to enjoy this food for the physique I'm trying to kind of work towards? And at this point, yeah, I definitely can. Um, but there's times over the last couple of years that that answer would have been no, because I maybe was taking a thousand to 2000 steps a day. I was maybe training two times in the week. Like there were, I, there was just a year in there that I just didn't really move a whole lot. And so my nutritional choices had to become a lot more restricted because I understood that now that I wasn't moving, I can't have a free flow of all this food coming in because I'm going to build a physique or start to start to accumulate a physique I don't want. So, um, definitely, I guess to, to answer the question more specifically, like now I'm a lot more aware of it and a lot, my ability to be flexible within, yeah, I'll just go with the flow is a lot better now than it used to be for sure. Yeah. 
Well, you outlined it really well because uh, you have an athletic background. Uh, there's a lot of things that are within your wheelhouse when it comes to competing in physique. And so these things are going to be more natural for you. you. Like you can do it without the the greater challenge of it being like way, way out of your scope. Like as far as like what what you do well almost naturally. Um, have you ever approached or been like, has anybody ever applied for coaching with you for physique or anything with that as their end goal that you were almost scared to lead them down that path because of what was in their like wheelhouse or what, what came easily to them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I think people commonly misun misunderstand what it takes to truly do it um, and truly compete and have the patience that it takes. Thankfully for me, I didn't have to have a ton of patience because it's something that did become, it came very naturally and I, I just was good at it. And I would, I had the genetics to back it up. And thankfully I did because I didn't have to be super patient. That said, as a coach and putting through people through prep and getting ready for stage or toying with the idea that maybe someday they'd like to compete, but they're nowhere near where they need to be. They're not always easy conversations and you know some people and as you talk to them more and more as they go through prep and they're they're having slip-ups in the easy stages that come down to just controlling environment and discipline and understanding that this there's a trade-off and there's a sacrifice for this decision now that's going to lead to something greater in the future and they were already having issues realizing that and so at that time i was a little nervous i was like you you paid me some money and I'm qualified to get you there, but this is a, this is something that this is a two way street here. I mean, I'm going to do what I need to do. Are you? And sometimes we had to opt out of a show by the end of it. And I, it just, it was what it was. And, or some people got on stage when they maybe were another six to eight weeks out because they didn't want to wait. And they believe that they had done the job they needed to do. And I didn't agree, but you hired me to do, get you to the stage. So here we go. Like, I'm going to get you the best physique on that stage. I can, but some, it's definitely, there's been hard conversations. There's been challenges along the way. And there's absolutely been moments where I was really nervous for the person trying to go through this and on the, along the same lines too, less so that. They just, they weren't up for the challenge just they were too up for the challenge in the sense of they already had a million things going on in their life, or they were going through a terrible breakup or they were going through this awful life experience or work was the most stressful it's ever been, or school is the most stressful it's ever been. And it's like, I don't know if that's a good time either. So, and so for some, it really is for me, it was the right thing. I needed it. And it got me out of the hole when all those things were true. But for others in my same situation, I thrived in that environment, but others I've coached didn't. And so, yeah, absolutely. I've definitely been really nervous for some people. What kind of conversations do you have with people where you're able to like figure out or assess or at least maybe shed light for themselves on whether they should be doing that as their goal or not? I think it just starts with what's going on in your life and having some self-realization on, do you think you thrive in this environment? 
I think simple as that. Like I have friends, close friends who thrive in, let's say the, the most stress that one could handle is a 10 and the, the least amount is a zero. Like they strive in an eight, they strive at a nine. They love it. They, they, they couldn't go without it. And then there's people that need to be at a two or a three. And there's people that fall within a six or a seven. Like there's just the way you perceive stress, the way you adapt to it and kind of trudge forward with it or alongside it is very individual. So I think asking those questions early on, like I've had those questions in December and throughout this month of January because people are interested in prepping for a show that's coming in October or November or whatever. And it's time to start thinking about prepping or starting to prep. And I've had to have those conversations recently. You know, our, where are you at in life? What all is going on? How much time can you seriously dedicate to this? Not just, oh, I think I can get it done. Like how much time do you know absolutely you can dedicate to this? And then do you thrive within this environment? Are, are you going to be okay with the stress? Are you going to be okay with being depleted and hungry at times when you may need to be switched on and, and ready? And there's things that we can do to try and help certain situations. But at the end of the day, it's it's really hard and it's challenging. And you may or may not be up for the challenge at this point in your life. And that's okay. And I'm not here to judge that. But you need to be honest. I love it. That's uh, Those are important conversations. My next question for you is, in life in general, it may not be fitness, but it might be fitness. Who are three people that you really look up to and why? Mm. That's always a hard question for me. <sighs> hmm. I would say one person that's helped me throughout my life um, considerably and always believed in what I never thought I could do was my grandfather, I think, or is my grandfather. He's still alive. Um, and that's my number one, absolutely, for sure, um, who kind of keep me going and or kept me going at times where I didn't really understand the challenge I was facing. Um, like when I got to university, for example, like during those pivotal transitional years, I, would, I mentioned in high school going into university, I was really scared and I did not believe that I was going to do it. And my parents didn't really believe I was going to do it. They made it very, I mean, my parents are, are wonderful and extremely supportive and have been there for me my whole life. And they're always the first ones to show up at any event, competitive event, my, whether my physique shows or the multiple sports I did at the same time growing up and they ran themselves you know, ran themselves dry as trying to keep up and get me places I needed to go. So I don't want it to seem like they weren't supportive, but they are also honest and they also knew me and they knew my past history and it didn't look bright. It didn't look well going into university. So I understand where they, where they were coming from and they made it very clear that it was okay if I, if I didn't do well and I came back and tried something else. So I think there was some comfort in that. I think that was a good way to kind of kind of go about it. But I also had someone, you know, uh, someone on the other shoulder, if you will, like my grandfather in that situation that was just, look, man, you got it. Just do it. And 
that gave me enough of a responsibility and something to strive for. And so I did it and I, I became really good at school and I got, I did really well at school at university. And so that kind of allowed me to kind of self-identify differently, um, and become, start to become who I am today. So number one, my grandfather, for sure. Um, the other two are really tricky for me because I don't think about this question very often. Um, I think as far as authors go and people that I like to read, I really like Ryan Holiday. Um, I like his approach to using old stoic wisdom and philosophy to apply to new ways of living in our current landscape of life. And I'm someone that's quite introspective and considers those things. And I like to think I, sometimes I'm good at it. Um, but I, I learn a ton from reading his material and his books. And I think it makes me think deeper about a lot of different things that I otherwise would have kind of just let go. And so I'd say Ryan Holiday's up there in terms of people that I draw inspiration from. Um, and then a third one, I, I don't know. I, I don't have anyone that I, I truly, I would say, look up to. But I, I'd say that someone that keeps me very honest and humble and it's just my wife. I really, she goes a long way in making sure that I'm very humble and becoming something that I didn't think was really possible for myself. And so like my grandfather in that way, but yeah. And always making me kind of reevaluate the trajectory I'm currently on and the, the way, what I'm wanting to achieve in my life and to remain patient, but remain hungry and kind of a gut check reality of when I say something, it's that otherwise doesn't make sense. Um, she's the first one that kind of will, will say something and Hey, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Think of it differently or why do you think that's true? And it makes me explain it. And then I realized that, hell, that doesn't make sense. All right. Okay. Well, let me rethink, let me, let me rethink that and think about it differently and maybe set new goals or new challenges. And so I'd say, yeah, those, those are my three, um, very hodgepodge and, <laughs> uh, different scopes, but I don't know if I draw, I don't think about that question very often. And I draw inspiration from many different things, whether it's creatively from music or design or different authors and their writing and how they they present their material or or how they think about different questions or if it's coaches or if it's coach like if it's coaches within the fitness industry or it's coaches within the professional space like the MBA for example or college or whatever it is I, I think there's so much to learn from all these different people and I I can't say I think much about one person in particular when I think when I'm asked that question as much as I just think as of, of a collective whole that you need to immerse yourself in as many things as you possibly can and 
draw references and parallels between different different spaces and different subject matter because to be understanding of how things truly connect in all of life is important to teaching people within your space how one thing works because they come from many walks of life and experiences so i think that would be my my general answer for that absolutely i mean like we're very much on the same page like if you think that i don't know what you're saying i completely know what you're saying i totally relate and especially as a podcast host being someone like i purposefully will seek out people that have nothing to do with the fitness industry every so often because yes mm -hmm. we can learn from so many different uh, areas of knowledge or places in life um for yourself, what inspired you to start your podcast or to get into that space? Yeah, it's good. I, I love that. And it was very selfish, to be honest. It was something that I needed for myself at the time I started it. And I was coming out of a pretty tough year and a tough experience professionally and personally. And during that challenging time, I wasn't having many great conversations either with myself or with others. And from that, I needed a way to start having them. And I reached out to people I'd never reached out to before and started to make some connections that I still have today. And I was, you know, I'd spend an hour or two on the phone with these people that I was knew who I was, or we knew who each other were. And but we never talked before. But we were able, you know, I, I, we hopped on the phone and would talk for an hour or two hours or whatever. And I would just start to reach out more and more and selfishly take these people's time. And, you know, I, I do my best to ask, like, hey, man, do you have an hour? Like, is it okay if we chat? And so I was just trying to have more good conversations with good people. And that was as simplistic as it really was. And it really still is. And the big reason for starting it was the selfish purpose of how can I use this network of people I've cultivated over the last five years or six years being in this and kind of ask for something in return or ask to collaborate or ask just to have a conversation. And I was nervous to start reaching out to these people, but it was very, it was very humbling and also just extremely cool at the time that I started to reach out to all these people that I'm like, ah, they're probably not gonna have time for this. They're like, ah, they'll probably say no. Everyone was saying yes. It was a resounding hell yeah, man. Like, absolutely. And it was just, it was awesome. And it started to kind of switch my, my internal dialect I was having with myself of how this next year was gonna go. And so being able to spend an hour, hour and a half with someone, you know, once a week uh, is, something I encourage everyone to do. And I know with my own schedule, I don't always have the time to, or I don't always make the time to go out and do this in the world. And so, and I also think finding a new adult, like very formal adult friendships, like in real life, is just very hard. It's very time consuming. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of trust and a lot of reciprocal action from both parties to 
establish a friendship and to do it all over again and to be able to handle everything that goes into adulthood. I think it's much easier for, for children. And I think it's much easier for teenagers even. Um, but as we get into adulthood, I, I think it gets harder, much harder. And that's one thing, probably the most challenging thing I've faced as an adult is friendships. Um, but that was the big thing of, of, for the podcast was I need to have more conversations, good conversations with good people. And so I had a conversation. I did a podcast with my, my really good friend, Matt McLeod, who does the more than fitness podcast. And it was essentially just that it was more than fitness. Our conversations, we did our, you know, the first episode that we did together, I was like, man, that was refreshing. I love that. I'd love to do that every week. And he was like, then do it. Just start one. I was like, fuck, you're right, man. I'm going to start one. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to start brainstorming ideas, start brainstorming names. And I got really excited about it. And I, I'm not a very enthusiastic person generally, but I can get really motivated and inspired and excited to do something. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I get, I get really sucked into it and I get really excited about it. And the podcast seemed to do that to me. And I knew that if that happens, that's a good thing. And so that's, I'm honestly surprised at the consistency I've kept with it as it is a fine, you know, it, it's something I pay for financially to get produced and trying to coordinate guests. And as you know, like trying to get people coordinated with different dates and times and within your schedule and making sure that you know the person enough up to that point to ask good questions that they're going to be well and articulating and to just to have a good conversation. And it's, it's a challenging thing that to do if people listening don't know, like being a podcast host is not easy. It's, it's enjoyable. It's fulfilling, but it's, it's not an easy thing you can do. Um, and if you want to try it for yourself to see if I'm right, just, try to interview someone officially while it's being recorded and know that it's going to be publicly put out there and see how you perform. But um, yeah, I think it was highly selfish and it's turned into something that's been very, very rewarding for myself. That's awesome. I relate to that completely. Just the, the amount of times when we think that somebody is going to be like, no, I'm too busy. My schedule is too busy. And, and they completely turn it around. They're like, Oh yeah, no, I have time. Like it's super cool. And I think, uh, this connection with people, whether it's over like a video chat or in person is integral to our just sustainability as humans. Like we, we need those adult friendships. And you talked about trust, which I really like because I find like that's something that's super important. And in this space where so much is online, it's hard to like build that uh, bulletproof trust. And uh, what, what are ways that you find yourself trusting people? Like where where do you like... What do you pick out in them that makes you trust them? I think honesty, it goes a long way. I think vulnerability goes a long way. And I think, well, it, I guess this falls within vulnerability, but to give without expecting anything in return. And I think, I mean, that's pretty much the definition of, one definition of vulnerability is, is to give without an expectation of return um or physical or whatever um so i think honesty and vulnerability go a long way and if someone can open up to you and and share some things and then the, the law of reciprocity through the way we kind of function as humans 
especially socially, and they share something vulnerable about themselves, and then you talk through it, and you connect more and more, and then you may have something you come to each other on, or you're just very honest and open about something that they ask about or something you ask about to them about it. Maybe it's a business idea or maybe it's a personal thing or maybe you're stressed or ang- you know, you're anxious or overwhelmed and you go, you go to them for some advice and you know, they, they give you the time of day that you need. They don't rush you. They don't give you a blanket answer of you'll be fine, bro. Like it's great. Like just keep your mind on the, you know, eyes on the prize and whatever nonsensical advice or, feedback people think they're giving others that are is helpful it's just not and it feels empty and it feels like you're just saying this to say it and those people that you connect with and have in your life that don't do that you need to dig deeper into that relationship because you could be missing out on something very special with another person so i'm learning more and more about that with a handful of people in my life and i'm learning more and more who's really really there and then who's just there and it's okay to people have to have people that are just there like those are friends too but the way i define an acquaintance the way i define a friend and the way i define a good friend are all very different um and i have a ton of acquaintances in my life i have a few friends and i have even fewer good friends and it kind of just I think it just falls into place as you go. And it's, it's something that never really gets easier. I don't think, um, but just honesty and trans transparency and, and vulnerability go a long way. I love it. I agree. Um, I have a question that I ask all of my guests and it's, if you could give one piece of advice on how to live your life to the fullest in the most true to yourself way, what would it be? Hmm. Give yourself more of a chance. Um, I'm I'm quite critical on myself, and through a lot of time, just to myself and thinking within my own mind, and just trying to be introspective and, and think about how I treat myself and how I criticize myself and put myself in different situations. I think realize how much is possible and I think it's really exciting. I don't know if it's just one concrete piece of advice, but it's just a culmination or a collective of kind of cumulative advice of understanding how much you are capable of doing and how, how patience and a little tenacity and getting your hands dirty can, can go a long way and, and realizing the compound effect is, is very real. And one thing that my wife said to me that stuck with me the other day is how, how exciting is it to know that if you lost everything today, you wouldn't be starting from zero. You have 26 years of knowledge that you've built up and experiences that you've built up that make you who you are today. And that you're not defined by anything that you're doing right now, but you're defined by everything that you've done so far. And, I think that is special. And I think the more and more I think of it, the more excited I get about every day because I know that every day if I wake up and everything I've worked for is, everything superficial that I've worked for is gone. I still have everything that I've worked for internally and 
my mind is is everything and that's something that you should take care of and treat well and treating it well from a perspective of getting sleep and maybe taking some brain supplements that help with it and be kind not only to others but yourself and I think to really believe that more is possible and to understand how much you are capable of and understand that you need to be a little bit kinder to yourself over time and that if you're fortunate enough to say life was long then you gave it a lot of different things you know you gave it a lot of different pieces of yourself and to know that you didn't leave anything in the tank that you didn't want to leave in there because I think it's okay to not you know there's some things I maybe could be doing right now that I may be good at that I know I'm leaving in the tank but that leaves room for other for me to pursue other things that I know that I could give a lot to so roundabout answer but I think understanding that you can do so so much more and you can dive even deeper into what you either what you're doing or you can also feel safe in knowing that if you did lose everything you're going to be just fine because you didn't you still have everything that you need to start anew and start something even greater that you didn't even know could be possible yet so that was a good answer <laughs> so thank you. thank you for your time today like this has been a great conversation we might have to do this again sometime i'm always open man absolutely all right now i have a mission for you and it's something that i'm asking upon you that i know that it takes up a lot of your time and i know it's a bit of an inconvenience but the amount to which it helps me as a podcast host as someone who is trying to expand my reach just with stories and connections and being able to get more yeses from the guests who honestly only have so much time in their life. Because at, at some point, when a guest is booked with all kinds of appointments, they have to maintain that balance of their family with their profession, and they only have time for so many podcasts. If you are able to help me grow that is amazing. And the way to do so is to screenshot your your phone screen when it's listening to the episode or to share your, your favorite part in a caption above and share that in your, your Instagram story or your Facebook story. I've had some people do full just posts in their feed about my podcast, which always moves me because so many times as a podcast host, you're speaking to someone else or you're you're telling something that you're passionate about or maybe sharing a very like real experience. And we don't necessarily know who's on the other end. Like I can see like the number of listens or I can see like the countries that are listening and stuff like that. But I do not know like the faces and the names of my listeners. I, I have a rough idea. I know my parents listen. I know uh, a great handful of close friends are listening. But outside of that, I, I have no idea. And so for you to share your favorite episode or to share things that you got from it or enjoyed is amazing. And ratings on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts make a huge difference. It just gives that podcast a bit of a bump. And I can't thank you enough. I hope you enjoyed. Have a good day.